Welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. This is your friendly neighborhood podcast host, Daniel Bauer. Better Leaders, Better Schools is a weekly show for ruckus makers. And what is a ruckus maker? A leader who has found freedom from the status quo. A leader who makes change happen. A leader who never, ever gives up. Imagine if you're in class, and maybe this was you, talking a lot, potentially getting in trouble with your teacher because you're not traditionally fitting into the mold of a student who behaves, quote unquote, in class. And that teacher says, hey, you know what? We're all sick and tired of hearing from you. And she kicks you out. And your parents in your school agree that it's okay to spank you. What would that do to you in terms of the message you received about the kind of person that you are in eighth grade? That is a story we start with today in my conversation with David Rendell. And he is an expert in helping schools and just humans in general find the strengths in every single person they serve. You're going to love this episode. So, Ruckus Maker, thanks for being here. And before we jump into the show, let's take some time to thank our sponsors. The Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is brought to you by Organized Binder, a program designed to develop your students' executive function and non-cognitive skills. Learn more at organizedbinder.com. Ruckus Maker, is email a soul-crushing distraction for you? It was for me, and that's why I subscribe to SaneBox. Start your free two-week trial and get a $25 credit by visiting sanebox.com forward slash BLBS. If you're waiting for your district to develop you, don't hold your breath. What would you be able to accomplish if you poured jet fuel on your leadership development? Rob, a principal in North Carolina, had this to say about his mastermind experience. I have found myself trying more things because I know that I have the support from other amazing school leaders to help guide me through if I get stuck. Turn your dreams into reality and level up your leadership. Apply to the mastermind today at betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash mastermind. David Rendell has made it his life's mission to be hilarious and helpful. He's a stand-up comedian with a doctorate in management, a class clown turned leadership professor who went from disrupting classes to teaching classes to disrupting companies and conferences around the world. After being criticized and punished his whole life for being hyperactive, David now channels his frantic energy to compete in Ironman triathlons and ultra marathons. David has a doctorate in organizational leadership as well as a grad degree in psychology. He's the author of four books on leadership and discovering our strengths through our weaknesses. Welcome to the show, David. Thanks, man. Excited to be here. So you told me you were always in trouble in school. You couldn't be quiet. There's this art teacher, eighth grade, and the school gave or school had permission to give you a spanking. What did that discipline do to you? And what was the message you received? 
Yeah, I mean, there were a bunch of messages in there. I mean, it told me that there was something fundamentally wrong with me. You know, she was always upset that I was always talking, even though there was nothing else to do in art. It's not like she was lecturing. We were just drawing the whole time. And there's actually a funny part of that story. She kicked me out one time and uh, she said, I think we're all tired of listening to you. And uh, as I was walking out of the room without me knowing, the other kids kind of took a vote. And one of the kids raised his hand and said, we're actually not tired of listening to Dave. Bring him back. Bring him back, <laughs> uh, which I really think actually pushed her over the edge and made her mm-hmm. hate me even more because she was tired of listening to me. And I think there's a bunch of lessons in that. So first of all, when we don't like something, it's okay to say, I don't like it. But the problem is oftentimes as teachers, as parents, we, or just as, as managers, and just even sometimes as people's friends, we try to tell people something's wrong when we just don't like it. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with her saying, Dave, I really don't enjoy it when you're talking. But she said, I think we're all tired of listening to you. When they weren't all tired, in fact, everyone loved it except her. Dave, there's something fundamentally wrong with you. No, there's not. This is just a bad connection between me and you. And this is a bad connection uh, between me and this, this environment. You know, what the discipline did was it kept reminding me something was wrong with me. I mean, when you physically punish somebody, when you physically hurt somebody, Hmm. the goal is to change them through violence, right? Is to show them they're so wrong and they're so misguided that they deserve to be. And they deserve to be hit until they learn that they're wrong, that they learn to change, that they learn to avoid that pain by following the rules and doing what they're told. And the fact that my parents gave the school permission to do it, the fact that the school requested permission to do it, the fact that those adults didn't have any better discipline strategies than hitting, mm-hmm. I think all of that's really sad. And it was demoralizing for me. I mean, it's one thing to sort of get in trouble at school and have your parents go, well, you know, let's talk about how you could try to sort that out. And, you know, maybe you weren't wrong, but let's try to help you manage your behavior. In my situation, if I was in trouble at school, I was in trouble at home. If I, if the teacher didn't like me, my parents told me it was my fault and I needed to get better. So it was just a constant reinforcement of how much was wrong with me. I didn't have anybody in my life who, who gave me a different perspective, who said, well, maybe, you know, maybe art's just not for you, or maybe that teacher was having a bad day or, it was definitely my fault and it was definitely a problem and it definitely needed to be fixed. And again, people took it so seriously, you know, that they felt like, you know, hitting me. Again, when you have to go out of your way to get special permission, you know, that that shows you're, you know, you're committed to your mindset that none of those people were ready to go, oh, maybe it's fine. You know, they're like, no, it's so bad. We need to take extreme measures to fix this. And when somebody tells you you're so bad, they need extreme measures to fix you. You know, some kids respond by going, I'm going to show you. And, you know, that wasn't me. I was like, you're an adult. Uh, All the adults in my life think I'm broken and something's wrong with me. I must be broken and there must be something wrong with me. And so it's, it's, uh, it was devastating. And uh, although that's an exaggeration now, it wasn't devastating because it was so common. It was just every day. It was, it wasn't devastating because it didn't happen all at once. It was, it was 12, 13 years into just this was a daily thing, right? It was more of the same. So it was, it was demoralizing or disappointing, but it wasn't devastating because it wasn't a big switch from the past. It wasn't things were going so well and then I had this, this horrible thing happen. It was just like a continuation, you know, and, and to the point that I didn't even question it. You know, it was like, yeah. This is me. I got a problem and it's not getting any better and everyone's unhappy and I can't fix it. Yeah, that's, this sounds incredibly exhausting as well. 
Yeah. In yeah. in what I'm hearing you say too is that it becomes part of a script that you start to believe yeah. about yourself. Absolutely. It becomes part of your identity. This is who I am. This isn't something I do. This is who I am. This is fundamentally who I am. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And schools forget like how much power that they have when communicating with kids or even with a leader communicating with uh, her staff, you know, yeah. just those words that we use matter so much. So schools, they, they make wrong predictions about kids <laughs> all the time. Yeah. In that story that you just shared, you mentioned how you wished uh, that somebody said, well, well, maybe it isn't wrong, right? Or just, just looking at it from a different angle. And I think that's, that's something that you do especially well as one of your superpowers. You know, how can we help the ruckus maker listening develop that mindset? They have, for example, I have one, uh, here's one very concrete example. School leader, working elementary school, kindergartner, and there's just a kindergartner in a lot of pain. And he comes to school throwing desks, uh, biting, spitting, kicking, trying to inflict pain on others, you know? That really stinks. I wonder how we might reframe how we see him, right? To try to look for some of those strengths. Yeah. No, I think that's the key part is the reframing. It's it's knowing that the strength is hiding inside of weakness. It's knowing that there is another side to the story. It's knowing that my personal preferences can't be generalized and universalized to the rest of the world. It's knowing that school is a very specific environment and demands a very specific set of skills, and yet those are not uh, skills that are necessarily required uh, in the rest of life. So that was the transition point for me. It was when I realized that I couldn't sit still because that was because I was I was very active, and that didn't need to be called hyperactive, which was the negative way of framing it. That could just be called active. Right. Um, and and so many people wish they were more active, and yet I was in trouble for being hyperactive. And that I didn't like to be quiet, but that's because I had something to say, and because I was comfortable being the center of attention, and I wanted to be up front. And I wanted to be putting on a show um, and I couldn't do what I was told, but because that's because I had initiative and I had drive and I had ambition and, and I wanted to lead at least my own life, if not others. And so that's the first part is, is asking yourself, is it possible that this thing that I'm seeing in this child that looks like a weakness, that looks bad, that looks wrong is actually a strength. So let's take your example. I mean, there's all sorts of negatives there. And I used to work with people with disabilities and, and we use terms like at risk and, and disabled and all these kinds of things. And, so, and there's all sorts of negative things in that kid's environment. And there's so many easy ways to make, make a negative prediction about them. But let's just, let's try to reframe. And, and I studied psychology. And so usually we're looking for what's wrong with him. He's got oppositional defiant disorder. You know, he's got anger management issues. He needs to learn self-control and impulse control. And he needs to do better at self-monitoring and all these kinds of things. And, and certainly some of those are true. I mean, we'll distinguish later, I think, between weakness and trauma. You know, I think for me, wanting to talk was just part of who I was. It's part of my personality. For him, his anger might be part of his environment and, and the situation that he's in. And so we have to separate those two kinds of things. You know, if someone's being abused, that's not just their weakness or something like that. That's an inappropriate thing that's happening to them and they're struggling to respond as a child. But let's even just take that. He's not taking it. He's fighting back. He's standing up for himself. He's pushing back on the world. He's refusing to be a victim. He's not willing to just silently endure what other people do. He's asserting his, himself upon the world. You know, we tell people we want people to have self-esteem. 
uh, well, there it is. You know, I'm not just going to be invisible. I'm not going to sit by. I'm not going to let people take advantage of me. When I have the power in a situation, when the other people are little enough that I can control them, I'm going to control them the way the big people control me because I'm not big enough to control them yet. Aren't those positive impulses? Aren't those, aren't those seeds of something that we would be trying to teach somebody else? Because look at that kid who is the wallflower in the class and never talks and never interacts and allows kids to take things from them and never says anything and never stands up for themselves. What would we doing for them? We'd be telling them, you got to stand up for yourself. You got to be assertive. You got to tell people what you want. You got to say no. And then this kid does. And we're like, you know what your problem is? And so that's that polarization that we think it's the middle. We think it's the, if, if everybody could just be like those kids in the middle, not too much, not too little, just the right amount. And then that's good and, and that's normal. And then everybody else is wrong and we're trying to move them all into that middle spot. And so I think just being able to even ask the question without knowing the answer, just being able to walk in and say, I wonder, you know, when I walked into just, let's take a regular kindergarten class. Let's say nobody has any trauma. Nobody has any problems. Everybody's got a great home life. Everybody's fine. Kindergarten is insane. <laughs> kindergarten is insane. Right? I have three kids. That's too many. And, and you're talking about 25, 30 kids sometimes. That's insane. And if you're the right kindergarten teacher, when I walk into that room and go, wow, good luck today. I'm glad I'm leaving my child here with you. And I'm glad I'm leaving and not staying. Mm -hmm. You're a better person than me. This is crazy. These kids, it's already a zoo in here. And I've had a kindergarten teacher say this to me when I drop my kid off. She goes, isn't it wonderful? These kids have so much energy. How exciting. Yeah. Look at the framing, right? Not these kids are out of control. They need to learn how to get it together. I'm going to tame them. My job as the kindergarten teacher is to tame these kids, to straighten them up and straighten them out, to teach them about lines and to teach them about silence and teach them about sitting still and teach them about isn't it wonderful? These kids have so much energy. Isn't that just exciting? I'm pumped. First day of kindergarten. These kids are getting me charged up, right? As opposed to breaking me down and it's my job to get them under control. So I think the first most important thing is even imagining that it's possible there's an upside to that negative thing. And for us to not to take our preferences and push that as universal values and universal truths. And that has to be so rewarding to hear as a parent dropping off your kid and that the teacher says, wow, look at how much energy these guys have. It's going to be a great day and all of that. Yeah. I think you're starting to touch on your, your framework. And I'm, I'm wondering if you'll uh, riff on that framework to turn weaknesses into strengths. That first part there, being curious and uh, in, in appreciating what people are bringing to the table, that seems to be the think different part. I don't know if I, yeah. if I miss anything, if you want to add to it, but no, you're right. I know there's other parts to the framework. And would you share that with the ruckus maker listening? Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, teachers love a good framework. I used to be a college professor um, and I've been in a lot of classes. I went to a lot of church. People like to, you know, have everything start with the same letter or have some kind of acronym. So for me, it's the same letter. So the process that I learned is that my weaknesses, I didn't turn them into strengths. I realized they were strengths. So that's really crucial. Sometimes mm -hmm. we think like, oh, okay, my job as a teacher is to turn these weaknesses into strengths. There's nothing, there's no turning right. that's required. It's already, they're already strengths. So the framework starts with thinking differently. Like you said, we have to see people differently. The first part of that is awareness to see that weaknesses are strengths. The simplest one is, you talked about it earlier, is that... Just standing up for yourself and that kind of thing, yeah. right? Well, sure. 
Well, let's take something like stubbornness, right? Ah, oh, this kid's too stubborn. This kid needs to learn how to let it go. This kid needs to, to stop fighting. They need to stop arguing. They need to um, give up on certain things that aren't working and be more flexible and move on to other things. And the freak factor says, nope, that's stubbornness is also the strength of persistence. Right? And wouldn't it be wonderful if our kids were more persistent? And wouldn't it be wonderful if they grew up to be persistent adults? And wouldn't I want my children, my own children, to be more persistent? But when somebody's being persistent with me, it feels like stubbornness, doesn't it? It feels like a negative and it feels like something I'd like to stop. And so I try to stop it because it's my preference instead of saying, wow, how could I encourage this wonderful quality? But I have to start by seeing it as a wonderful quality. So what the assessment in the book does is shows you how any particular weakness you can think of in a person it corresponds with the strength and persistence and stubbornness is the easiest one to get. The next part is acceptance, um, to see that you can't have one without the other. You can't be more persistent and less stubborn at the same time. It's not possible. Um, it's not about balance and moderation. It's about recognizing that these things are always there. There's always two sides of the coin in any particular characteristic that somebody has. Um, but then the next part is actually appreciation, not just accepting that these things go together, but being excited about that connection and being excited. Um, Paul Orfala is a guy who grew up with dyslexia and ADHD, got kicked out of four different schools, got fired from his jobs on the first day, didn't just get fired, got fired on the first day. And then he went to work for family-owned businesses and then got fired by his dad. Mm. Right? And then he started a company and uh, he called it Kinko's. And he sold it to FedEx for $2.4 billion. How about that? And he really models appreciation because he says, I wish everyone had dyslexia, right? I think everyone should have dyslexia. And so they asked him, if we could give you a pill that would cure your dyslexia, would you take it? And he said, absolutely not, because you would destroy the best things about me when you fix the worst things about me. I have to have this weakness if I'm going to have this strength. My dyslexia, my ADHD, they are weaknesses, they are disabilities, but they also give me these other superpowers that I've learned to see and that I'm so excited about and that other people have seen over the years, but it was harder for them to see it. And now I'm so excited about it. I don't even think about having the downside anymore. I just think about all the positive things that it's brought to my life. So that's appreciation. So thinking differently about ourselves and others, awareness, acceptance, appreciation. I have an assessment for kids. Teachers have used this with kids. There's a great one. Uh, one of my friends did it a long time ago with second graders. And he told them the process. He read them the Freak Factor for Kids book. And uh, he asked them what their strengths and weaknesses might be and how they might be connected. And second graders could figure this out. And they wrote, you know, on those <laughs> big line paper, right, with the yeah. dotted line in the middle. And the kid goes, I'm a chatterbox, but maybe someday I could be a speaker just like Dave. I talk too much, <laughs> but maybe that's because I have a lot to say. Uh, it's good to be a freak. My weaknesses are strengths, you know, and a second grader could figure that out, right? A second grader could get it. Yeah. So. Um, that's why I created those tools is because uh, people were seeing that this could be something that people could be taught at a very young age and be very useful. It's the reason I wrote the Freak Factor for Kids book is because parents who were executives and I was speaking to them as executives, not as parents, mm -hmm. would come up to me and say, yeah, I'll use that at work, but what about my kids? So those are the first part is thinking differently. Then we would behave differently. Uh, and the first part of that is amplification. So it's giving people the opportunity to turn up the volume on these kinds of things, giving people the opportunity to, you know, this is a wild example, but it puts together two things. Your earlier example of a kid who likes to throw desks and break things. There's actually an activity that you can do now that's perfectly legal and is considered entertainment. And you can go to these places and walk into a room 
that is set up like a beautiful, ornate dining room with wine glasses and china and beautiful furniture and lamps and the whole thing. It just looks like something out of a movie. And then they just give you goggles, face shield, and a baseball bat and a sledgehammer. And you just get to pay for the opportunity to go absolutely nuts, right? (laughs) And so again, the question becomes like, when is it okay to express our anger, right? When is it okay to express our feelings? When is it okay to let it go? And do we create environments that make it far too hard for people to do that? But, But again, I think there's some Again, there's some there's a difference, and we don't have time to go into it today. Between a weakness that I have and a strength that I have, because it's fundamentally who I am, and a response that I'm having to a difficult environmental circumstance like abuse or neglect or things like that, and I think those things do need to be dealt with differently. So amplification involves giving people the opportunity to be more of who they are instead of telling them to turn it down moderate it, dial it back. So let's take a kid who's very active, get them involved in sports. No coach has ever sent a kid home from practice and said, oh man, your kid's hyperactive. They just won't stop running and running and running and running. Um, Your kid's too much drama with your kids. Sign them up for drama class. I told you the story about my friend Clint uh, who was in school and he was always in trouble for tapping on things and he was always banging on things and they was always telling him he was hyperactive and he was always moving around and banging his feet and clicking on things. And he was constantly being sent to the principal's office and told to sit still and told he had a problem. And finally, one of his teachers, Mr. Jensen, told him after class, he said, Clint, uh, you're not a problem. You're a drummer. And he handed him his first pair of drumsticks. And Clint went on uh, to be on America's Got Talent. He's now a professional speaker uh, and a drummer. And he uses that hyperactive energy and his ability to, to find the beat and to keep the beat and to keep time. Um, and he's turned it, he hasn't turned it in. He's found that it was a strength, right? He's, but somebody had to give him permission to amplify it. Mr. Jensen didn't say, what you need to do is figure out when and where and how this is an appropriate thing to do. And, uh, and he didn't say that. He said, turn it up, mm. hit things more, hit things harder, hit things more often, amplify that. And he also combined that with the next one, which is alignment. You have to find the right fit, right? Tapping on things is great when you're a drummer. It's not so great when you're sitting in a classroom where everybody's trying to take a test and you're supposed to be quiet. So alignment says that our weaknesses become strengths, or at least the strengths are highlighted when we find the right situation. And so our job as teachers, as educators, isn't to tell people they're wrong. It's to have the imagination to see that the weakness might be a strength in the right situation and start telling kids what that, what that situation might be. Ooh, people like you do well in situations like this. Yes. That thing that's even bothering me right now is going to be fantastic when you are a, and we direct kids towards a future in which they can see hope for when they can be in this different situation. Hey, you're always fighting me. You don't like to do what you're told. You always have a different perspective. That's what entrepreneurs do. Entrepreneurs take a different path entrepreneurs lead their own lives, entrepreneurs run their own businesses, entrepreneurs take risks and take chances uh, and believe in themselves. You've, you seem to have that. It's driving me crazy. <laughs> Be honest about that. There's nothing wrong mm-hmm. with that. Say it's driving me crazy. Don't say it's terrible and it's wrong and it's bad. Mm-hmm. And then say, so I want you to think about, and I'm going to start bringing you little, little stories and examples of of great entrepreneurs and start encouraging you to think about how you might be an entrepreneur because you seem to have the characteristics that would make you very successful there. 
point people to the school situation is, is, is not incredibly malleable. Um, and so point people towards a situation in the future, give them hope that when you find this situation or when you move into this situation, be more successful. Um, but you can also sometimes do it right then. A friend of mine named Jason Hewlett had a teacher who said, man, you just want to give a performance, don't you? You just want to get up in front of class, don't you? He goes, no, I don't. I'm a good kid. You know, I want to do a good, you know, he said what he's supposed to say. Right, right. He goes, no, no, you want to get up front. He goes, if you'll behave yourself in class, I'll give you five minutes at the end of class to put on a show. And Jason became a, a Vegas performer. He, he, he does amazing. He's a singer. He does amazing impressions of other singers and musicians. Um, he's incredibly funny. He can make his face do things that you've just never seen. He was incredibly talented, but it took one teacher to say, there's nothing wrong with you. You have a desire to do something that's perfectly appropriate. And I'm going to give you the environment to do that, even when this isn't the environment for that. I'm going to give you permission to do that thing. And that gave him the first time he had permission. And then that became his entire career, right? Mm. When somebody said, it's okay, not only is it not wrong, and this isn't the place, but I'm going to let you do it in this place. And so that's powerful. So that's alignment. The next one is avoidance. People need to have permission. Kids, adults, we need to have permission to not do those things that aren't alignment for us. And that's a really tough one in school. Everybody has to. We're all supposed to. These are the requirements. Every class matters. Um, in life, it doesn't matter if I was good in computer class or not. It doesn't matter if I was good in history or not. But in school, if you get an F in history, you got to take it again until you pass it. You don't get to keep going until you pass it. You've got to pass it. In life, you, you, all you really need to be good at is one class. And the rest of the classes can be managed by uh, somebody else. That's Paul Orfila's story, right? Find people who are strong where you're weak. So we need to give people permission to not do things that don't fit with their strengths and that aren't the right fit for them. And that's where school can be really difficult. As an adult, I don't have to cook. I can eat at restaurants. I don't have to clean my house. I can hire a maid. I don't have to mow my grass. I don't build cars. I buy them from someone else. There's so many things we don't do and we're not responsible for. And yet in school, we're taught you have to be good at everything and any weakness or, or, or problem is, is going to be an issue and it's not. And so avoidance, that's a really hard one for school. It's easier once to become an adult. And again, that's something to tell kids, hey, once you're done with algebra two, you'll never have to take another math class for the rest of your life and you can use the calculator on your phone. Let's just get through this and be done. Let's not pretend it's way more important than it really is. I took calculus one and calculus two in college and I got A's. And I can't tell you that my life is any better because I mastered those things. And so I think we overdo the value of some of those things and we can't just let them go. I wish there was a school system, we're going to get to this later, where some things could be let go. And then the last one is affiliation. Partner with people who are strong where you're weak. You don't have to be good at everything if you can connect with people who are, are strong where you're not. And again, this is so hard in school because what's it? Paul Orfila ran a company worth $2.4 billion and he couldn't read or write. How did he do that? He did it by hiring people who could read and write and partnering with them. Uh, what's it called though from age five to age 22 when you're in school if you hire someone to do what you can't do? Yeah, they call it cheating. But then, uh... Yeah, it's called cheating. It's the most unethical, Ill immoral, irresponsible, mm -hmm. disqualifying thing you can do. And from 23 on, it's called collaboration and it's your best strategy for success. Right. And so this is one of the things that makes school so difficult. It's supposed to be preparation for the real world when in fact, with the inability to avoid sometimes and the inability to affiliate, and then people would say, no, 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 we have group work and all that kind of stuff. That's not the same thing. When, 
when group work is just, we all do a little bit of the things that, that each of us would have to do individually. That's not true affiliation. True affiliation is there's an IT department that runs the computers and I don't know how. There's a marketing department that markets the stuff and I don't know how. There's a person who read out loud to Paul Orfala because he didn't know how. He literally didn't have reading. He couldn't do it. Writing, he couldn't do it. Those are two of the three R's of, of school, reading, writing, and arithmetic. Mm-hmm. He couldn't do either one of them and he's worth $2.4 billion. And so we've created this system that doesn't allow kids to get a taste of the real world. And that's what's difficult is that even some of the framework is hard for people to apply in school. And yet as soon as they're out of school, affiliation is everywhere and avoidance is everywhere. I mean, I, I built my business by paying my neighbor to mow my grass, <laughs> uh, paying the neighbor kid 20 bucks to mow the grass. It got me three hours a week and I built my business on that. And so I go, well, I mean, I, I, I just guess I just got to get better. You don't have to get better. at. You don't have to do it at all. And that's what life is about is building those partnerships and building those relationships. Thank you for digging into I'm fired up here. Sorry. I'm oh, we love it. The framework's my, good. Yeah. I remember you explained that in our intro call. So I think the ruckus maker listen will definitely get tons of value from that. Uh, we're going to come back in just a second to get the answers to our last two questions. But right now we're going to pause for a message from our sponsors. The better leaders, better schools podcast is brought to you by organized binder. Organized Binder is an evidence-based RTI Tier 1 universal level solution and focuses on improving executive functioning and non-cognitive skills. You can learn more and improve your student success at OrganizeBinder.com. Today's podcast is sponsored by SaneBox. I'm a current subscriber to SaneBox, and it is absolutely a tool that all school leaders cannot live without. Why do I love it? It just works. There is nothing to learn, nothing to install, and SaneBox works directly with every single email service out there. Imagine a world where only the important emails make it to your inbox. All the unimportant stuff is magically filtered out to folders that you can review later. That's SaneBox's artificial intelligence working behind the scenes. It has saved me countless hours of filtering emails each week, and it will do the same for you. If I could give you three or more extra hours each week, what would you be able to accomplish with that time? That's what SaneBox does for me, and it will do it for you. Start your free two-week trial and get a $25 credit by visiting SaneBox.com forward slash BLBS. That's SaneBox.com forward slash BLBS. And we're back with David Rendell. And uh, we were talking freak factor, freak factor for kids. We're talking about identifying people's strengths. And he just did an expert job of unpacking his framework. So Ruckus Maker, definitely uh, rewind the episode and, and take notes right in. Uh, get the freak factor book. That's, that's some great stuff. But David, I'm curious uh, if you could put a message on all school marquees around the world for just a day, what would that message say? Yeah, that's easy. I say it about 15 times in every presentation. What makes us weird also makes us wonderful. And what makes us weak also makes us strong. Um, we need to stop apologizing and being ashamed of our uniqueness and our difference and, and stop allowing society um, and sometimes the school system itself to teach us that our uniquenesses are weaknesses, right? that, our, that our difference is wrong and bad. Um, what makes us weird makes us wonderful. And the things that seem to make us weak are also the very things that make us strong. Now you're building your school from the ground up. 
You're not limited by any resources. Your only limitation is your imagination. I can't wait to hear how you'd build your dream school and what would be your top three priorities? Yeah, so a bunch of them. I think um, giving kids an opportunity to choose what to do and what not to do. There's a little bit of Montessori in that, right? That allowing kids at a very young age to choose to do certain things and to simply not choose to do other things. I think, uh, so I steal a little from Montessori, steal a little bit from Khan Academy, being able to bring the best in their subject, the best in their field, the best at communicating and motivating and making things interesting and explaining things well uh, through online through online videos. Uh, there's no reason uh, that some kid in, in rural Nebraska should be limited to the best teacher his town can find in a 25 square mile area when we literally have access to the best on earth. And I'm not making fun of that teacher in rural Nebraska. I was the best professor they could find for 100 square miles in rural uh, Eastern North Carolina. And my students should have, shouldn't have been limited to that, right? There's, there's better professors, uh, maybe at Harvard, maybe at some school we've never heard of. Watch their videos, don't watch. It's all that we're all teaching the same things. Teach, people are teaching the same math classes. 5,000 times a day all over the country, all over the world. Let's find the best and let's give it to kids. The other thing would be just a different schedule. Um, My daughter does online homeschool um, and she can start when she wants and she can finish when she wants. She can work more on one class. She can work less on another class. She can uh, do it while she's watching Monday Night Football. She's Right now, she's working ahead so she can take a little extra time off of Thanksgiving. Uh, She can work on Sunday night so that she can do a sleepover with her friend who has the day off of a traditional school for Columbus Day. And so giving kids the opportunity to start when it works for them, if they're early in the morning, more and more research says most kids are better later in the day, giving the kids the opportunity to have that flexibility. So just making it model real life more. So flexibility in time, flexibility in schedule, flexibility in the topics, and looking for opportunities to tap into those interests and those talents really early on. So I give you an example that goes with autism. So people with autism tend to have something that's called a special interest area. Um, and even people without autism are like this. But sometimes, um, let's say it's trains. This person with autism is just obsessed with trains. Well, their parents usually and their therapists and their teachers and in their IEP process at the school, everybody's trying to get them to stop being so obsessed with trains. It's time to grow up and, and, and be an adult and stop being obsessed with trains. And obsession isn't good anyway. We should be well-balanced and well-rounded. And they try to get them to stop focusing on trains um, when what they should do is teach them math with trains and teach them the history of trains and teach them reading by having them read about trains. Let's tap into that, right? Let's tap into those interests. So I'd love to see more things like music schools and drama schools and dance schools and sports schools, athletic schools, where we allow a kid to be excited about what they're excited about and we build the rest of their learning around those things that they have those strengths in, that they're naturally excited about, um, that matter to them. Um, And I'd also like to see uh, schools focus a lot more on real life a lot sooner. I think it's good for people to have a broad liberal arts education, whatever you call that. But sooner or later, I think the goal is for it to accomplish something. And I think we wait way too long to teach kids how to work and how to have a real job and have real life and real business. And there's no reason kids do it all the time without help. There's no reason we couldn't help kids with that at a much younger age. I don't think we have to delay adulthood until 18 years old. There's no reason we can't have kids working in a positive way at 12, 13, 14, running their own businesses, 
trying things, starting things, working on things, figuring things out. And uh, I like the recent uh, trend. My kids have both been able to take college classes while they were in high school. Why am I taking an AP class that might get me some credit for college if I do really well and I study really, really hard when I could just take a class at the community college and actually take that class and show that I can do it? We don't have to predict whether I can do it. So my daughter's taken SAT classes to predict her college success at the same time that she already has 36 credits of college credit. I don't think we need to predict her success. I think we already know what her level is. And one of the classes she had to take was college readiness. So I I think giving kids a chance to go at their own speed, their own pace, um, and having that not be so weird. One of my daughters skipped a grade uh, because the system didn't match her. And so we didn't try to force her into the system. We adapted the system to her. Well, the system didn't really adapt. We just moved through the system at a different pace. So I think giving kids a chance to go at their own speed and their own pace and not telling them what that speed and pace should be is another key element as well. Well, David, thank you so much for being a part of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. Of all the things we've talked about today, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? That your students' weaknesses are strengths, that sometimes the kid that seems the worst actually has the most potential, that the kid that seems like the biggest problem is actually the person who's probably going to be the biggest success, and that we're terrible predictors of people's future success. The number of incredibly successful people um, who were told that they were going to be unsuccessful is really overwhelming. Peter Drucker said, um, strong people always have strong weaknesses too, where there are peaks, there are valleys. And I think we have to constantly remember that every single day. And instead of looking at the good kids, whatever that means, and thinking those are the ones that are going to make it, it's forcing ourselves to acknowledge the reality that at the very least, some of those kids who seem like the worst students we have are the ones that are going to grow up to be the most successful and asking how can we be a part of making that happen. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed.